Hi, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Soulful and Authentic Podcast. I'm Joanne Oswell Jones, your host, and today is episode four of season one, where we're going to dive straight in to hear the rest of my conversation with Mark Colburn, MBE. Have you been waiting for this all week? I know I have for sure. Last week, we were left sitting on the edge of our seats, having just heard Mark tell us that he had broken his back in a near fatal paragliding accident. I'm, I can't tell you, I am so blown away by the strength and determination that Mark showed and displayed throughout this incredibly difficult, life-changing period of his life. So, Picture the scene. Mark is lying totally paralysed from the waist down. He's got six rods on his back and he's wondering if he'll ever walk again. Let's hear how this man went on to become a gold medalist Paralympian for Team GB. Are you ready? We, we, we don't have a surgeon to operate on you. We've got to take you from Swansea to Cardiff tomorrow and then they can look after you. Okay, then they can then obviously do the assessment and hopefully then operate. So the next day, you know, I got, you know, drafted up to Cardiff um, and I'll never forget, you know, having that conversation with my parents. You can imagine my mum's walked in. She's just crying, you know, profusely crying. I'm crying. My mother's crying. And my dad walked over to me (laughs) and he said these words to me. I told you. I told you to be careful, didn't I? You know, Mr. Action Man. You know, I said, Dad, look, I'm 40 years of age. Okay, now is not the time to be telling me to be careful. I should have been more careful. It's just how we react, isn't it? You know, so I think, you know, having had then, you know, spinal operation, you know, having had six rods, you know, inserted into my spine that are still there today. Okay. Say that you'll never be able to walk again at this point. You know, what was the prognosis? What was. So the first, um, I suppose, the first two months in hospital, in the rehabilitation hospital in Cardiff called Rookwood, which is very similar to Stoke Mandeville, okay? Oh, okay. Was was just an environment of being, almost like being nursed in a library. Right. And what I, what I mean by that is exceptionally quiet because lots of people who go into Rookwood with, you know, all various different types of, you know, uh, near fatal accidents and injuries. They, they, they could be there anything from six months to three years. So it's this uncertainty, isn't it? You know, 100%. this uncertain situation. hundred percent. So at the time I just, yeah, I, I just went through the Kobler-Ross change curve and, and got to the point where I just thought, well, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing physically or emotionally I can do here other than just literally stay calm and just let Mother Nature take its course. Okay. Visualization and trying to heal yourself or, or to help with the process. So to answer your first question, you know, the consultant, uh, lovely gentleman, Mr. Inman said, look, you know, the next six months, you've just got to relax and just let nature take its course and just let your body heal. Yes. Okay. So I spent 94 days on my back, totally, totally paralyzed from the waist down. Okay. And I think the first, yeah, probably the first three months, you know, was really tough. Um, But then the second month was even tougher because, you know, they, um, in hospital, then they um, hoisted me out of bed, placed me into a wheelchair to take me to the, you know, the physiotherapist gymnasium to put ankle supports on my on my legs because I ended up with drop foot. And what drop foot is, is basically I've got no push or pull in both feet due to the, the spinal cord problem, you know, from damaging the spinal cord. I then had effects to my glutes, my hamstrings and my calves. So when they stood me up for the first time, I literally, I literally was like a piece of jelly. You know, you can imagine my blood pressure was all over the place. My heart was racing because having spent such a long time lying on my back, yeah. you know. So, so that moment of rehabilitation was, I guess, another feeling that I had to dig deep. And I, I, I relate it back to when I was a child. 
Okay. It's all about, you know, if you want to kick a football, you have to keep practicing. Yes. Okay. If you want to bowl a cricket ball, you keep practicing. Okay. And, and that's something I've always been able to do naturally. Just never give up. Okay. And, and that moment in hospital for that three month period of going to the gym every day, doing my walking with a Zimmer frame, doing my exercises. And then about a month, <clears throat> about, yeah, probably a month before I left hospital, they sat me onto one of the indoor bikes. Okay. Like a, you know, like a gymnasium bike, just to see if I could build the muscles that you would use when you're pedaling a bike. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is a true story for your listeners. A little bit of humor is always good. Absolutely. So I'm, so I'm sat on this indoor bike. Now, remember, I've got drop foot in both feet, so I've got no push or pull. So as they sat me on this bike, I said to the physiotherapist, excuse me. I said, I don't think I should pedal this bike. Why, why is that? She said, I said, remember, I've got drop foot. If I start pushing these pedals, my feet are going to slip off the pedals. They'll probably end up going into the chain. I'm thinking health and safety here. Okay. And I'd like to keep my feet, please. Thank you yeah. very much. Okay. So the lady goes to the cupboard and she brings back a big roll of bandage. And she oh. bandaged my feet to the pedals. Okay. okay. So my feet wouldn't slip off. So, so if, if there's any cyclists listening to this podcast, you'll know what I mean when I say about marginal gains. This okay. was my very first feeling, my very first experience of marginal gains so what that meant was my feet stayed on the pedals mm -hmm. and I literally just pushed and pulled pushed and pulled pushed and pulled wow. okay and I started a cycle albeit with a disability how did that feel I, I'll tell you exactly how it felt okay if, the, if there's anybody listening to this who wears spectacles okay or glasses or contact lenses think about how you feel before you put your lenses or your glasses on Okay, that's how I feel when I'm not on the bike. When I get on the bike and I obviously, you know, my feet are stationary on the pedals and I start to pedal. The it, lights go on. It, it just feels normal again. Oh, it really funny. does. So when I finally left hospital, I'll never forget the consultant saying to my late father, look after him. He's a hell of a, he's a, he's a hell of a character. Okay. But just remember that your new life, Mark, may not be the same as your last life, as your previous life. Yeah. And how was that, Mark? Because, you know, bearing in mind that, we, you know, you had gone from being so passionate about sport and to then to then how did you process this how, how did you deal with i mean obviously we've got the the calm and the strength and the and, and, and you know from what you tell me you, with your belief systems the way you work but were there not moments of sheer panic and like how, how's my life going to be how, everything's changed 100% and the way that i explain that you know when i speak in conferences now is that i show a picture on the on the screen or a slide of the incredible hulk Right. Okay. That's how I felt. I just felt this frustration and anger. Yeah. Okay. And I just couldn't get it out of my system. And I think that comes back to, you know, the, the work I did with Professor Steve Peters at British Cycling. And he explained about how I felt regarding revenge towards having my accident. Yeah. Okay. Because it's something I couldn't change. It happened. It's left me with this disability for life. My question to myself then was, okay, I can't change it. So, so don't think about what I can't do. I can't run anymore. I can't skip anymore. But what can I do? Okay, what can I do? And whatever I can do, let's give it 100%. Okay, so the first thing I did when I left hospital, I resat my driving test. Yeah, because obviously I wanted to drive again, you know, and I, I, you know, I passed my test when I was 17. So I'd been driving a long time and I'll never forget sitting in the car with the, with the driving instructor when I explained, you know, who I am and my disability and et cetera, et cetera. So he said to me, is there anything you need to tell me before we start? I said, yeah, my feet don't work. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget the look on his face. Like, are you, are you serious? Is this he was like, 
really? You're just about to sit your driving test again, you know, but with my supports, okay, with my ankle supports, yeah, passed my driving test with flying colours. Woohoo! That's not the only thing you went on to achieve. So what that allowed me to do then was start to, you know, to push the boundaries and start to test what could I do next? Okay, I did some rowing. You know, I did some indoor rowing for a couple of months just to get my fitness back. And then, and this is this is the great part of the the, the story. I started cycling, you know, with um, first of all with um, the the club that I used to race triathlon for, which was a bike shop in South Wales. And then I started going to the velodrome in Newport with Disability Sport Wales, which was a you know a two hour session on a Saturday morning for free. Just you could just go in, ride the track with other you know other people who were also disabled, you know, being coached by an incredible, incredible gentleman called called Neil Smith, who was a volunteer at the time, you know, for Disability Sport Wales, and Neil taught me how to ride a bike with a disability, you know, because Neil's passion is um, is cycling and track cycling especially. But Neil, Neil looks at track cycling for dis- disabled people like Formula One. Okay. Okay. He breaks it down all the way down to the small differences, you know. And, uh, and, and I, I owe Neil a lot. Okay. He's, he's a very close friend. And, you know, yeah, I'll be forever grateful, you know, for the work I did with Neil, you know. Teachers and the friends show up when you need them, right? 100%. And I'll never forget, you know, racing in the velodrome in Newport about five months after I started cycling and, um, and, you know, sort of winning two races, putting the, you know, the, um, the excitement on Facebook at the time. Okay. And this was the game changer. You were going with this. Did you, did you, did you have your eye on the prize? Did you know where you wanted to go with this at this point? Definitely not. I just wanted to get fit again. I wanted to get my health back. I wanted to start to have a life again. Started driving. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't go back to work. I gave up my job. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't ready. No. I was honest with myself. I just wasn't ready. Okay. But you know what I admire about that is that you could have just given up, but you didn't. And you dug deep within you to say, I can take this situation, which has completely changed my life, upside down, inside out, and I can make something fantastic. And well, think about this. Yeah, 100%. So, so think about this. Anything that I was going to do was better than lying in, lying in that hospital bed. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, people don't think that they have the strength to be able to change that. And we'll come on to that in a second. Yeah. Okay, we'll come on to the chimp. We'll come on to the inner voice. Yeah. We'll come on to the primate voice that drives people crazy. Okay. So after winning these races, you know, I put I put it on Facebook. A lot of my friends, they were like, Oh, well done. You know, you've come a long way in the last twelve months from breaking your back. Um, you know, we're really proud of you, you know. And I was like, Thank you. You know, this this is the start. Hopefully back to normality, Joanne. Yeah. Okay, because that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Was just to go back to work albeit with a disability. And then I received one day a phone call from the paramedic who treated me on the day of my crash, okay? A lovely gentleman called Ross. And Ross said to me, because we connected on Facebook, he said, oh, I've seen you've won these races, you know, cycling races, well done, congratulations. So I said, thank you ever so much, you know. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, of course. He said, would you like to cycle, you know, with... um, with the Wales Ambulance, Wales Air Ambulance, to raise money for the charity. And I said, yeah, 100%, I'm in. They saved my life. Yeah, of course, right? I said, 100%, I'm in. What do I need to do? He said, well, we're cycling around the the four corners of Wales in a week. It's 523 miles, and we'd love for you to join us. And you're like, okay. I was like, how how many miles, sorry? (laughs) And I just thought, I've got to do this. Okay, I've got to do it. I'll so, you, Mark. You're just so gung-ho for it all. I it. But, but these people saved my life. Yeah. Okay. So on the very first day from Cardiff to Landridnod Wells, we finished the, the first day. It was 84 miles over the Brecon Beacons. It was an incredible day. 
So we've arrived at the venue in Landrid, North Wales. You know, I've had a shower, I'm having my food, and I get a tap on, on my shoulder, okay? And this guy says to me, excuse me, young man, when you finished your food, can I have a quiet word with you outside? And he walked off. Now, this guy was about 19 stone, full of muscle. He was huge, right? What the heck have I done? And that's what I thought. I thought, who the hell is this guy? And what have I done? So anyway, I thought, I'll finish my food. I'll take my crutches with me, just in case it kicks off, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> there, there was me, you know, poor old me. You know, I think I was probably about 90 kilos at the time. And this guy was well over 100 kilos. He was huge. So I walks outside and he says to me, what's wrong with your legs? So I explained, I broke my back, lower leg paralysis, but I can cycle. So we had this in-depth conversation for about 20 minutes about my accident, my disability, how I can ride a bike because my quads and my hip flexors work, yeah. okay, which allows me to push and pull. And he then said this, these words to me. Can I ask you one last question? I said, yeah, of course. He said, um, are you training for the London 2012 Paralympic Games? Now, this was June 2010, so two years before London. I said, sorry. He said, you know, the Paralympics in two years' time. Are you training for the Games? I said, no. Why the hell would I do that? He said, I think you should. Oh, wow. It was the light bulb moment. that. Yeah that just, just went off in my head. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, you've just planted a seed that, that, that's been with me all my life. And now's the time. I said, I said can I ask you a question? He oh, said, yeah, of course. Okay. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, who, who are you? Because <laughs> he knew all about, you know, the physiology of the anatomy of the body. Yeah. He said, my name is Dr. Ben Matthews. And I'm a chiropractor from Cardiff. I was like, it makes sense. Because yeah. he was describing all about the bone structure and the spinal cord. And he, he just knew loads, you know. He said, I think, I think you should start training for the games, young man. Because he said, you have something I've never seen before. You have a huge engine, you know, big lung capacity. And he said, you definitely have the mindset of, a, of an athlete. Oh my. So I felt, I felt quite excited, <laughs> you know? So we, so we finished the ride for the week, okay? We completed the ride. We raised, I think it was about 20 grand for the, the Wales Air Ambulance. And I'll never forget that Saturday night walking into my parents' kitchen because obviously, you know, I, I'd moved back in now with my parents. And my mother said to me, how, how did it go? I said, oh, mom, it was amazing. What an amazing week. I met all these famous people, you know, it was amazing. And I met this doctor who was really kind and he was very supportive. And I'm going to start training for the Paralympics next week. She said, oh, good luck. What would you like for tea? <laughs> um, did you just hear what I said? So my dad, my dad stood up and he said, you know, give us a hug. You know, nice to see you back home safe. He said, what's this Paralympic thing all about then? Now, Remember now, I'm 12 months, I'm 12 months post-accident, okay? Yeah. He said, what's this Paralympic thing you're on about then? I said, well, I'm going to start training for the Paralympics next week, you know? Mark, come here. So he called me over and he said, look, listen, don't be so bloody foolish. Just go back to work, okay? Your job is there for you. Just go back to work and just, just forget this Olympic, Paralympic dream. You know, to dad. Possibly, you know, just your parents just want to make sure you're well, you're safe. They had nearly lost you, right? 100%. Just like, just get any of that notion out of your head. We just need you here. Yeah. I, I get it. I, I get it as a parent. Of course I get it. Okay. Yeah. So I said to my dad, I said, listen, come here. And I literally stood toe to toe with my dad. Now, my dad was... Five foot nine, five foot ten, wasn't a big, big chap, quite slight, actually. I stood toe to toe with him. Now, remember, this gentleman was my hero, yeah. my inspiration. He, he, he was my go-to guy. 
whenever I had problems, okay? And I stood toe-to-toe with him and I said, listen, all, all my life, you had told me, if you, if you ever have a dream, whatever that dream is, never give up. Is that correct? And he said, yeah. I said, listen, I'm going to do this with or without you. What do you mean? I said, look, London 2012 is only going to happen once, okay? And I'm going to do it with or without you. I'm going to get there with or without you. If I want to be successful, it's going to be down to me. If I'm going to fail, it's going to be down to me. But I've got to try to get there. If I get there, great. If I don't, so what? At least I've tried, okay? And he, <laughs> he, turns, he, he turns to my mother. He says, Margaret. Have a word with your boy. I think he's bloody <laughs> lost it. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. So that was the start. That was the start of the journey to the biggest sporting event on the planet that was going to be in my backyard, literally two, hour, two hours up the M4. Incredible. But my point to your listeners is this. It was only going to happen once. Like your life is yeah. only going to happen once. And you've okay. with both hands. And, and think about this, right? That clock, it will only tick for so long. Yeah. Okay? And, and I, I, I have a great saying that time is the only commodity that we can never buy back. Absolutely right. When it's gone, it's gone. Now, I had two years, okay, 740 days or 750 days, whatever it was, to get ready for London. And that's when, you know, I called out and reached out to so many wonderful people who were so helpful, nutritionists, coaches, friends, you know, to, to get me to get me to London. I didn't know how the hell you got to the Paralympics. But, you know, the path ahead just unfolds. And when people ask for help, it's given, you know, I, I sometimes think people think they're on their own and how are they going to manage it? Just pick up the phone, ask for help. Someone will always give you their time. hundred percent. Totally agree. And, and that period, that 12 month period from 2010 to 2011, I made friends with people that are still best friends with me today. Yeah, that's lovely. Okay. Dr. Ben Matthews, the chiropractor, you know, incredible, incredible individual, just such a wonderful gentleman. Um, a nutritionist called Sue Worrell, okay, from Cardiff, just so helpful. And, and I just learned so much from these people. So when my coach then rang British Cycling, okay, remember Neil Smith? You know, yeah. he, he was a catalyst in my life, okay? He rang British Cycling and he said to British Cycling, look, you, you've got to come down to, you know, from Manchester to Newport and take a look at this guy, okay? He's a C1 athlete, which is my category, <clears throat> and you need to take a look at him. Okay, so this was the conversation. Who is he? Okay, how old is he? Okay, what, what's his disability, et cetera, et cetera. So Neil said, look, he's 41. He's no spring chicken, but he's got a massive engine. Okay, and um, still, <laughs> he, he's a really strong minded character. So they said, well, where's he come from? You know, we've never seen him before. And Neil said, well, he's fell out of the sky. Literally. Literally. <laughs> and, and, that, and that was the start when British Cycling came down to Newport and they were like, yeah, okay, he's pretty quick. Okay, he's pretty quick. Um, I was probably a stone heavier at the time, so I had to lose some muscle weight, you know. Um, and that's what I did. I set about training every day, you know, obviously eating the right foods because, Joanne, if I'm honest, like most working class families, I grew up on chicken pasta and chocolate. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know athlete food. I didn't, you know, I didn't. So, so fast forward to 2011, I was a stone and a half, well, in fact, nearly two stone lighter in the end. And British Cycling said, okay, let's give you an opportunity. You've done all the work, you know, you've probably put in, I don't know, however many miles, 10,000 miles, 15,000 miles, whatever it is. So through and the you summer. Determined. You were determined and you were just so determined it was not going to be a no. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and my point was I needed to do the work. And we'll come on to something in a second. But I needed to do the work just to find out if I could get selected. Because 
you don't just walk into the Paralympics. No. You've got to go through the selection process. You've got to win medals. You've got to go on training camps, etc. you know. So there's a saying in sport to focus on the process, not the outcome. Okay. Training, racing, you know, in a match, in a game, whatever. Focus on the process, not the outcome. So that summer of 2011, British Cycling gave me the opportunity to race in five races across Europe um, and, and in Canada as well. And I came back with five medals. So just answer this for me. When they say focus on the process and not the outcome, is that to keep you grounded in that moment? Is that to keep you just in that moment on, on, on that race? It's not the bigger picture, no? Think of a jigsaw. Okay, think of a jigsaw, 500-piece jigsaw. The first thing most people do, find the corners. Okay. okay? Then they find the edges. Yeah. Okay, so that's focusing on the process because we know if you find the four corners and the edges, then it's just a case of finding the rest of the pieces. Okay, I'm with you. If you start thinking about winning a medal in the Paralympics two years out or even 12 months out, okay, That'll fry your brain. That'll but confuse you. That's what I meant. So it was the process was to keep you grounded in, you know, following a, a, a system that a system, works. A system and a plan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now remember, going back to what we said earlier on about people who want to focus and have belief on the process. Yeah. Belief in the organization, which was British Cycling, and belief in myself. So think about this. Belief in the plan was the 12-month plan that I would have with British Cycling, okay? Yeah. Belief in the organization, which was British Cycling, okay? Mm-hmm. And then belief in me doing the process. Does that make sense? Because British mm-hmm. Cycling previously had formulated world champions, yeah. Paralympic champions, yeah. Olympic champions. Yeah. Okay? And it, is, it is about that. It's, it's about whenever you want to do anything in life, you just have to, it will unfold. You, you believe in it, you do it, it. You can't go into it thinking it won't happen. You, you have to, in my opinion, you have to go through the whole process mm. to find out if you were right. Yeah. Okay. Now, very quickly, I wish my dad was still alive in 2012 Aww. because, <clears throat> excuse me, I would have had that conversation. Yeah. To say, well, I was right. Yeah. Okay, I was right to follow my heart, follow the process, do the work. Okay. So then in 2011, I got selected to move to Manchester to be part of the world class cycling program, to be part of British cycling and the lottery funding to then start the very first process of my dream. And my dream, remember, was to become a professional athlete. I'm now getting paid. To do what you love doing. Then to train and race. Yeah. I was 41. I felt like a teenager. Okay. I really did. I was living out that dream. Okay. I really was. And I'll never forget having the conversation with my mum when I got selected because my mum said to me, Mark, I'm really sorry. Obviously, you've got to move away, move to Manchester, train full time. It was the same week that my dad went into hospital to be told that he had stomach cancer. Okay. Now, now remember how strong my dad was for me when I was 10, when he explained about the process of life. We are born, we live and we pass on because we we are live living organisms. Okay. So I knew that my dad had prepared me all my life for the end of his life to be emotionally ready. Okay. To, to be realistic that it was going to happen one day because nobody lives forever, unfortunately. Okay. So when I got selected then by British cycling to race in the track world championships in Los Angeles, you can imagine I was euphoric. Yeah. I'd done all the training. I'd done all the work. Okay. Followed the the diet and lifestyle plan because I trusted British cycling, you know, because I knew that it worked. (laughs) Unfortunately, when we got to Los Angeles that week, unfortunately, my dad passed away. Oh, Mark. Okay. Now, you can think one of two things. You can either think emotionally, okay, and it'll bring you down, 
Okay, it lower your self-esteem. It lower your self-esteem, lower your self-confidence. Now, re now remember, on that Friday, <clears throat> excuse me, on that Friday, I was racing in the world finals. If I allowed myself to be emotionally low, I would have gone to pieces. I had to think. I had to think logically. Yeah. And Professor Steve Peters was so helpful. When he said these words to me over the telephone, he was back in Manchester. I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. The day my dad passed away was a day before the world finals. And he said these words to me when, he, when, you know, when my coach rang British Cycling got Steve Peters on the phone. And Dr. Steve Peters said to me, Mark, please understand. First of all, my sincere condolences for the loss of your dad. I said, thank you. He said, the second thing is your dad's not coming back. Do you understand? I said, yes. He said, no, you can either fly home, but you'll miss the finals and your dad's still not coming back. Okay. Now you can stay and don't race but your dad's still not coming back yeah. and you'll miss the finals because you won't race or you can stay and you can race for your dad and make your dad proud. Yeah. And you can channel that energy, but your dad's still not coming back. Do you understand? I said, yes. He said, I need an answer. You've got one minute. Have a think about it. I said, okay, I'll stay and I'll race and I'll race for my dad and for my country. 63 million people. Yeah. He said, okay, good luck tomorrow. And he put the phone down. Love that. Love that. There, there, is no, there is nothing else to say. There is nothing more to do. And in all honesty, that's probably exactly what you needed to hear at that moment. 100%. So I raced the next day and I won the World Track Championships. You know, I really did. I lived out that first childhood dream. Your dad, you were just bringing it home, right? 100%. And even today, Joanne, I still can't remember that race. No, I can't. I can't imagine that. I was just a blur, okay? There was probably frustration, aggression, you know, everything that was just, you know, within me. And obviously then delivering, you know, the race and winning, you know, winning the, winning the gold medal and becoming a world champion, you know? So, so that then... Absolutely awesome. That then set the scene, you know, for, for the London 2012 Paralympics. We're seven months out from the Games. I knew I had it in my heart. It was just a case of doing the training, doing the process, doing the recovery to get to London and, fingers crossed, hopefully be selected to live out the childhood dream. And it's the mindset, isn't it? It's, you know, just never wavering. Well, if you think about this, nobody ever won anything with emotional thinking. No. Okay. And this is where we bring in Professor Steve Peters, the author of The Chimp Paradox. I was privileged to work with Professor Steve Peters for three years at British Cycling. And I learned so much about my inner voice. Yes. Okay. And if anybody has not listened to the book or read the book, you know, the audio or, or read the, the book, please, please do. It'll change your life forever. It really will change your life forever, you know. And Going into the Paralympics, okay, the training, the lifestyle, you know, all the hard work, okay, that was put in. Yes, it was worth it, but everybody else trained probably just as hard, you know. Yeah. And I'll never forget August 2012 when the whole country got behind us, you know, that epic summer of sport because, you know, we had Wimbledon, we had the Tour de France, we had the Olympics, you know, which was a great warm-up for the Paralympics, by the way. Yeah. And then August 2012, you know, um, yeah, a, a month in my life where I'll never, ever, ever forget. So many memories, you know, it really was. But going into the Paralympics as a world champion, you know, gave me the confidence, the self-belief. And then I just had to follow the process of what the coach gave me. I had a wonderful coach of British cycling called Tom Stanton. Lovely, lovely guy. He really knew how I how I ticked yeah. you know we had a great open relationship 100% <clears throat> authentic relationship which is what you need you know Always and is. if you haven't got that if you can't be authentic it's not real it's not real but people stop okay people stop being their authentic self 
Absolutely. And I'll share a poem with you in a second, okay? And it changed my life. The poem is called The Man in the Glass, okay? And it talks about being honest with yourself because you can lie to your friends, you can lie to your family. But please, please do not try and lie to yourself. But I think the sad thing is so many people do. And this is this is really why I've launched the Soulful and Authentic podcast and why I'm writing the books, because um, it's you're robbing yourself. You know, the, 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 the most important thing you can ever do is just be your authentic self. Yes. But the problem is, Joanne, with peer pressure, with outside pressure, work pressure, relationship pressure, you know. Um, but you see, the thing is, when you are your authentic self, and when you when you understand your power within and your strength within, those pressures aren't as big as they seem when you're not being yourself. It's even better when you do things for other people. This comes back to the contribution to the reciprocity from me being a child and helping other people when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. That I I I was prepared to be my authentic self. Because I've been my authentic self all my life. Okay? So going into the Paralympics, representing my country, 63 million people wanted me to win. Okay? certainly did. Unfortunately, my dad wasn't there to to see it. My mum was there, thankfully. My daughter was there, thankfully. Okay? And and being prepared for that that 10-day period of racing in London, okay, I just had to follow the process and focus on the process, not the outcome. Yeah. In other words, think logically, not emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? So, totally, totally. So I think for, for all of your listeners listening to this, it's okay to fail. I love this, okay? It's okay to fail. Okay, now some of your audience may be thinking, Really? This guy was a professional cyclist and it's okay to fail. Yeah, 100% it's okay to fail. But what's not okay is not trying. Yeah. Because if you don't try, you've already failed. Okay. So I remember, just to finish on this part, I remember speaking to Professor Steve Peters and he said to me the day before we went into the Paralympics, do you have any concerns? I said, just the one. (laughs) What if I fail? He said, but what if you don't? Yeah. I said, okay. He said, so what, what, what worries have you got then? You know, what, what's keeping you awake at night? And I said, well, the only thing is, what I'm really um, not scared of, but um, unsure about is how I feel if I come away with nothing. Okay. How do I prepare myself for failure? No medal. Okay. Not, nothing. Zero. And it's a weight on your shoulders, right? We've all felt failures. We've all felt um, that we've let ourselves down. So it's a very real feeling. N- not letting myself down because I knew I was going to give it my best. Mm-hmm. And he said these words to me, and I love this, okay? He said, let me ask you a question, Mark. When you race in these races, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, are you going to give 99% effort or are you going to give it everything? Are you going to give it 100%? And I stopped and I thought, hmm, okay. Catch question. <laughs> I said, I, I'm, I'm going to give them 100%. I'm going to leave everything on the track. He said, okay. When you give 100%, the hardest thing in life is accepting the outcome. Yeah. Okay? Because we all want to win, of course. But only one person can win per race. Okay? So he said, what you have to do is you have to prepare yourself to accept the outcome, whatever outcome it is, okay? Give a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And he said, please understand that a hundred and ten percent doesn't exist. No. Okay? You can only give your best. And whatever the outcome is, you then have to accept it, welcome it, okay, and and live with it for the rest of your life. And and do you know what? I took those words on board and I gave it a hundred percent. And walked away with two silver medals and and the gold medal. So, <laughs> so, so for people, obviously, what you know, maybe watching these adverts on you know social media or these clips, you know, and obviously listening to the podcast, 
you know, just jump on YouTube, just type in Mark Colbone Goal 2012 and just watch the race. Oh, the race is just spine chilling. It's just incredible. incredible. It's epic. I, I want yeah. to know when you were that last race, so you did the two silver and then you got the gold, right? And we, you were going to bring this home. You were going to bring this home for you, for your dad, for your mum, for the country, for us all. And there has to be this point. So I hear what the professor says about, you know, you, so long as you're giving 100%, okay, don't, don't attach the outcome. But there needs to be that moment within yourself where there is no other option other than getting your hands on that medal, right? So when you were there or when you were in, what were you thinking? What, I have so many questions about this moment, always. Like, what (laughs) were you thinking? Could you even hear the crowds? What goes through your mind at that moment? So so think of the day. The day was the 31st of August, 2012. Okay. The strange part of that day, it was my wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Or should I say my ex-wedding anniversary, okay? And I raced a quarter past three in the final, okay? If you do the, the, the one hour on, you know, because of the summertime, yeah. it was actually quarter past two when I got married. Oh, really? It's so surreal, okay? However, to answer your question... I was going to say, that, please tell me, is that what you were thinking on the track? <laughs> So that morning, when I raced in qualification, I broke the world record to get into the final, okay? Just just to get into the final. The guy I raced against, the Chinese rider, who was 18 years younger than me, okay? He was a sprinter. (coughs) Excuse me. Not necessarily an endurance rider, but a sprinter. So my coach said to me, an hour before the final, we have to set a schedule, okay? Because this young kid is really quick. He's really quick. He's much faster than me over four or five laps. So what I had to do is I had to get past the first four or five laps and then start turning the screw and really open up the engines to get through to lap 9, 10, 11, and 12, okay? Now, nobody knows what the outcome is going to be because you have to get to the end of the race to find out what the outcome is going to be, okay? So this goes back to thinking logically not emotionally yeah because when you're racing to answer your question yes you can hear the crowd the noise was like unbelievable the heat the atmosphere was incredible but i was not there to enjoy that moment no i was there to do a job yeah okay i was there to follow the black line around the track and when that gun went off i had to hit those pedals as hard as I possibly could for the next four minutes. And that's the end of the process because all of the work had been done two years prior to get me into that position, to get me into that fitness, that weight, that mindset. The mindset, everything. So there's an old saying in cycling, okay, the training should be hard and racing should be easy. Yeah. Okay. You speak to any academic who's done degrees, PhDs, doctorates. They study, 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 study. Do the exam, pass or fail. Okay? All the, hard, all the hard work is done prior. You know? To answer your question in a bit more depth, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Okay? It was un- off the scale. It really was. I'm all- just sitting here grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> so phenomenal what you have achieved it really is it's it's just amazing but the astonishing thing is joanne okay excuse me just to wrap up this wonderful podcast okay i wasn't born a world or paralympic champion i wasn't okay i i had to become that person yeah okay i was just born i was born margaret's boy i love that margaret (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's that thirst and that passion of wanting to become a better version of yourself and and for me that is what life is all about you know it's to constantly grow to constantly experience and just be all you can be but but it 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 goes deeper than that 
okay? And, and there's an old saying, okay? It's always important to be better tomorrow than what you are today. I get that, okay? The next level of contribution is to help other people to do the same. Well, you see, I think that you automatically, so I always say that, you know, it's, it's not so much our um, fears that we, or, or our weaknesses that we're fearful of, it's actually our enormous strength that we can be fearful of. And so when you see others, so people say, oh, you know, how do you be a leader? How, how do you do this? It's not a case of doing something for someone else. It's a case of leading by just being you and just being your light and just showing. And so tonight, this conversation that we're having, you're leading, you're inspiring, you're showing, because what it allows others to do is to say, I can take those words of wisdom and I can take the understanding and apply it to my own situation. And that is helping millions of people. I agree 100%. And just to finish, this is the biggest golden nugget of all. Tell okay? me. Tell me. It, this is the biggest golden nugget I've ever learned in my life. And it's about the four pillars of change. Yeah. Okay. For people listening to this, please write it down. Okay. This will help you hopefully as much as it's helped me. The four pillars of change are apprehension, mm-hmm. fear, yeah. doubt, and uncertainty. Whenever change happens, we go through those feelings at a cellular level. Yeah. Every single person does, whether you break the screen on your phone whether you bump your car, you lose your house keys, whatever. You go through those feelings, okay? And some people don't know how to manage those feelings. So when, when it comes... Sorry. So when, so when the ego when, mind kicks in. Yeah, so when you want to achieve something, whatever that is, okay, the body goes through those feelings in, in almost microscopic sizes, Okay, the apprehension. Well, London's two years, go back to 2010, June 2010, okay? London was two years away. Was I going to, the apprehension is, was I going to get myself fit to race in the Paralympics? I don't know. The doubt, what if I fail? The fear, what if I make a right mug of myself? What embarrassment, okay? And then the uncertainty which is what I shared with Professor Steve Peters. What, what if I fail? Yeah. Okay, so apprehension, fear, doubt, and uncertainty. It, it's with us every day, okay? Even, and I'll share this with you. I'm sure you won't mind me sharing this with you. I drove back from Manchester today, back to South Wales. I left Manchester at three o'clock. I went through those feelings, apprehension, was I going to be back on time? Okay, doubt, I hope the traffic's going to be clear. And I'm not going to end up in a traffic jam and be late for this podcast. Okay. Fear in terms of um, is the Wi-Fi going to work yeah. <laughs> correctly? Because and, these are, yeah. And it's those feelings, those emotions that we we go through every day. Okay. But, but the only thing and, and and they do happen, those feelings every day, don't they? And that's what we were saying. It's it's our attitude towards them. Attitude and education. Yeah. And knowing. And- excuse me, knowing how to manage the inner chimp, the inner voice, okay? And just to finish, just to tell your listeners, you know, um, I've got some bad news for you. In your head, there's two of you. This is the advice I was given by Dr. Steve Peters. There's two of you. There's the human, the logical thinking human being, and then (laughs) then there's the primate, the inner chimp who thinks on emotion, Yeah. who lives his life on emotions. Okay, but take control, manage the chimp and enjoy your life. Mark, that has been so inspirational, so amazing. I know 100% for sure that everybody that is going to hear this podcast is just going to go and Google you, look you up and watch that race. And because it is just incredible. And it has been such a true pleasure speaking to you because Life does throw us curveballs. Life does become challenging. And when you know how much potential we all have and how much power we've got, you can move mountains. And you did. You fell out of the sky. You broke your back. 
and then you went and broke records on the track. I mean... And I think the important thing, just to finish, is... Yeah, this is really important, actually, is to know your why. Yeah. Okay, find out what your why really is. Okay, it's so important, okay? And, And learn from other people. Yeah. Find that passion and learn from other people to achieve it, okay? And just remember, and this is a great quote, change will always happen. Yeah. Okay, change will always, always happen. Just be prepared for it. We've just gone through two years of a pandemic, Nobody was nobody was prepared and ready. That coming, right? Nobody. Okay, nobody. But the logical thinkers, they are the people that have got through this. Yeah, and okay. that's that's what this show is all about. It's about helping to give strength and belief and faith. And you are just the most perfect guest to have on the show because you've demonstrated that over and over and over and over and over again. And I think my vision. You know, my vision and my mission is not to, <clears throat> excuse me, not to inspire people, but to teach people to inspire themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's the gift. Yeah. Mark, it's been a pleasure, as always, sending you huge hugs, lots of love. And I know everybody listening will just be just so pleased that they did because you're one in a million. Thank you ever so much. Much appreciated. Just wow. Just wow, wow, wow. If you haven't seen that race, jump onto YouTube and watch it. You won't regret it. He did it. He fell 40 feet out of the sky. He broke his back and then came home with a gold medal for Great Britain. Mark has overcome such incredible personal challenge by digging deep within and finding his strength. I mean, what an inspiration. So just so inspirational. And I hope you've really enjoyed listening to Mark's story. In next week's episode, Friday the 17th of February, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more of my journey with you. And on Monday, we have a Valentine's special, which is all about creating that special romantic and soulful relationship. So please be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, I wish you a fabulous weekend. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing, remember that you're a truly beautiful and wonderful being. For now, much love.